Well, good morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1. We will continue in our our study in the book of Acts this morning. I know I told you that Luke would be kicking us off uh, in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, But this week, we had actually already felt led to kind of pause another week, give another breather, uh, another breather week between starting point and then jumping into whenever the Lord strikes down Ananias and Sapphira for lying to the Spirit and thought it may maybe a little intense uh, coming off of church covenant stuff. But anyway, uh, anyway, so we decided that we would just kind of kind of do a recap of, of the first four chapters, and uh, and then on Thursday, Indian Springs Baptist Church called and uh, asked if he wanted to come preach uh, there. Their their pastor has been sick. Uh, he said, well, I'm scheduled to preach at Cross Point. Then he asked me if I want to go to Indian Springs, and I said, nope, you go, I'll preach uh, uh, here. And so anyway, he's at Indian Springs now. He just left to go over there. But uh, So the song we just sang is called Hallelujah Here Below. And I know from, from, for most of us, we, we all knew Viv, and uh, for some longer than others. And uh, if you never got a text message from Viv, I'm sorry that you never got the Emoji Queen uh, text message. She was a delight to to know, uh, but as we were sitting there singing that song, Hallelujah, here below, uh, as in from below, we're singing our hallelujahs, I got to thinking while I was sitting there, how many times Viv probably said the word hallelujah, right? And so uh, from Miss Charlie singing songs, hallelujah, or I thought about uh, every time when Rod would preach hallelujah, like how many times her life was filled with hallelujahs, Right? From here below. Uh, but yesterday, her hallelujah came from up above uh, for the very first time. Uh, and, and I thought it was just a, appropriate. Uh, you know, we're thinking that uh, we're just doing a recap <clears throat> uh, this morning. Uh, but I thought, I think it's important for us. Actually, I think God, I say, I think, I know God leads us. Sometimes we think it's our idea, but actually, God sees beforehand where we're going to be, and I actually think that God has a word for us uh, this morning. Just in this recap, understanding uh, that for the believer, for the believer that uh, when we are saved, that the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us. He takes up residence within us. Uh, Some refer to him as the anchor of our soul. And we have a guarantee that throughout this life, we have the sure and steady anchor of the the Holy Spirit's power residing within us. Uh, But that anchor is tethered to heaven. That anchor is tethered to the very presence of God. And whenever our time comes, God pulls forth. that, that, That anchor that is tethered, if you will, that we are drawn, we are pulled into his presence when we breathe our last breath. And here's the picture, is that that book, because of the book of Acts, that's the reason why we have that certainty. Like we have certainty in the first four chapters of the book of Acts that Miss Viv is in the presence of the Lord this morning. Uh, and so us as a church, what I thought was just a, a bye week, I actually think is that for us, it's important for us as a church, and even if you didn't know Ms. Viv, it's important for us to be able to understand a recap where we've been and understanding that Jesus this morning, he has ascended and he's seated on his throne. Uh, and that because he is seated, he, he has sent the promised one to reside within us, who is a guarantee until the day that we go to be with him forever. And so I just think that the Lord has us here in in Luke chapter 1. 
Uh, the reason I read Luke, and actually, actually, I think I have it this order. In Acts chapter one, uh, I'll read this. And so, in Acts chapter one, we Luke begins this 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 letter uh, or this this work of Acts. We actually believe that uh, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts was one uh, one work that was broken in different sections. And so, we see this in chapter one of verse one. It says that. Uh, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, and so Luke is addressing the man that he's writing, this guy named Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus had began to do and teach until the day that he was taking up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So we see at the beginning of Acts, he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. And the reason why we believe this is all one work, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is because if you go to Luke chapter 1, He's writing to the same guy named Theophilus, right? And so this is what he says in verse one. And check this. I don't know for some of you, this is recap, but for some of you, I'm, I'm going to give you the reason why we have the book of Luke and the reason why we have the book of Acts. And it's, it's specifically this. This is what he says in verse one of chapter of Luke. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most exceeding Theophilus. And here's the reason why, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been so Luke writes this letter to Theophilus to say, hey, I'm writing these things so that you'll be certain of the things you've been taught, that you will be certain that Jesus has ascended, that you will be certain that Jesus is, that, that, that he is seated right now and the Father is making his enemies his footstool, that you will be certain that the Spirit whom was promised did descend upon the apostles that you'll be certain of those things and say, Justin, that's Theophilus. No, I think that's for us today is that what it meant for Theophilus, also it means for us that when we read the book of Luke and we read the book of Acts, that we will grow in certainty that these things that we've been taught, that this idea that Jesus is Lord of all is not something that's just a hope. So it's a matter of fact, it's certain that he is. That it's not just that the Holy Spirit is this, you know, maybe know that the Holy Spirit is indwelling those who have been born again and called to Jesus. And so I want to, what I want to do is I want to, in the next few minutes, is get a recap from chapter one to chapter four. Right, so when we ended uh, before starting point, we had just finished chapter four where we were jumping into chapter five, but I realized a month has passed by, and for some of us, we've kind of lost where we were and where, you know, what was being set up. So this morning, I want to, in four points, kind of, kind of, uh, summarize where we've been so far in the first four chapters. But first of all, I want to draw your attention to the Acts, uh, our, our sermon graphic. And so you, this is an easy way to, for, to, to be familiar with really how the book of Acts is set up, but also the way that we're, the lens in which we're studying it, right? And so you have these three arrows, one goes up, one comes down, and one is pointed out. And so that's really the, the, the summary, if you will, of the book of Acts is first of all, that Jesus ascended. 
right? So we understand uh, that the, 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 the books of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of the New Testament uh, is when, when Jesus came down to earth. Like he came to us. He, in incarnation, he came uh, to fulfill the Father's will and the Father's desire, uh, the Father's plan, if you will. And then whenever we, the, book of, the book of John, the last uh, gospel is finished, we understand that the, there's a finished work Right? There's something that he has finished, and that's what we see in chapter 1 whenever it says, you know, that uh, uh, verse 1, so I have dealt with all the things that Jesus had began to do and teach, and so we understand that, that if the book, when the book of John ends, there's a finished work, but there's also an unfinished work, right? And so the gospel's end with Jesus uh, is, is done. His work is done. And so when Acts begins, the very first chapter is that now he ascends, right? So he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And then the next arrow is down as the Holy Spirit comes down, right? The promised one is sent down upon the the apostles and the church begins to be formed. And then the last arrow is out. So that's the summary of the book of Acts. The The sun goes up, spirit comes down, the church goes out. So that's an easy way to see the book of Acts. And so if you're taking notes, here is the recaps of Acts chapter one through chapter four. Number one is that Jesus went up to sit down. That Jesus went up to sit down. What you see in the first really 11 verses, but specifically nine and 11 is that Jesus has ascended. That, that he, at first Luke kind of gives a, a really a, a summary of what happened in those 40 days between Jesus's resurrection and Jesus's ascension that he, he taught his disciples and he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, to hang out there until the promised spirit. And then Jesus ascended. That even the, the natural world couldn't keep him down. He literally just levitated up into the sky. And now, I don't know if you remember this, but, but Luke walked us through like the realities that for, for me and you, that, that he took humanity back into heaven, uh, that, that Jesus who came and took on form of man, right? He came in a likeness of man. He was, he was, uh, he was killed, he was Buried, he was resurrected in bodily form. And when he goes back to heaven, he takes this body with him. And he takes this humanity back with him. And because he ascended, we walk through this, is that he, when he ascended, whenever he went back into the throne room of God, is that he secured our redemption. Right? The, 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 the reference there is Hebrews chapter 9, 11 through 14, is that when Jesus came, I mean, when Jesus went back to the Father, he didn't just go back because he meant, no, when he came back, he secured, he brought the, his blood to the very throne room, to the most holy of places, and he brought the, the, his own blood, the living blood, his blood into the presence of his Father, and in doing so, he secured an eternal redemption. That when he ascended, he didn't just go because it was time for him to go back. No, he, he took his work that he did here on earth and he went and presented it to the Father and in doing so, secured eternal redemption for all who would believe in him. So the first thing is that Jesus ascended. So when he ascended, I know some of you may remember this, not only did he secure our redemption, but now he represents us. He's our advocate, First John tells us. 
that in heaven, because Jesus ascended, that, that he goes in and he sits down at the right hand of the Father. And in 1 John chapter 2, it says that we have an advocate. Now, he says if anyone does sin, to confess because we have an advocate with the Father. It literally means a representative. And what does that mean? Is that literally Jesus in heaven is our representative. As in our stance before God isn't just by our own merit and our strength. No, Jesus himself, because he ascended, he now is our representative in heaven. But not only but he, but he intercedes for us. Jesus ascended and he, he, he secured eternal redemption for us. He is now our representative in heaven, but he also is the one who is praying for us in heaven. I know for some of you may remember Luke's analogy of this is that uh, whenever we're going through a hard time, right, and we want to reach out and ask somebody to pray for us, right, we always go to like the most holy of peoples, right? I need to be prayed for. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text Ms. Felita, Ms. Felita, can you pray for me? All right, all of us go, yes. We have people in our life that we go, this is the person I want to pray for. Well, the picture of Christ interceding on our behalf is that, that literally he's, he's praying for us to the Father. That he, he's in the throne room. Not only has he, eterned, uh, he secured eternal redemption and he represents us, but the perfect one, the spotless one, is there interceding, praying for us to the Father. And it's even better than a Felita, which Felita is awesome, but we're talking about the perfect one, but at the same time, who can sympathize with all of our weaknesses because he took on flesh. Like that Jesus is now seated in heaven praying for me and you. Why is, why, why is Luke telling us, writing a letter to, to Theophilus so that Theophilus can be certain that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding on his behalf? That he can be certain about that. Sorry, I got fired up there. I didn't mean to yell at you. When Jesus ascended, he secured our redemption. He represents us and intercedes for us, and he reigns as Lord over all. He reigns as Lord over all that Philippians, actually, I'll just read it real quick. I think I can get there. I know it's not going to come up on the screen, but Philippians chapter 2, General Electric Power Company, okay. Yeah, everybody have their J, the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Mine's General Electric Power Company. Uh, anyway, sorry, Blake, I know, but I'm a Dixie Electric guy, I know, but anyway. <clears throat> In Philippians chapter 2, this is what Scripture says about this. It says, in verse 6, it says, speaking of Jesus, he did not... Uh, even though he's in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth, and, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hey, church, I need you to be certain of something this morning, that Jesus is no longer this humble Galilean carpenter. He's a risen, ruling, reigning Lord of all things. 
Be certain of that this morning. So number one is Jesus went up to sit down. Number two, very creative words. Are you ready? The spirit came down. So the first thing we see in chapter one is that Jesus ascended. Went up to sit down and in doing so, uh, providing redemption and intercession. Number two is the Holy Spirit came down. We see in chapter one that it was the it was the Father and the Son who who sent him. We see at that at the uh, in chapter one verse uh, four, whenever he tells them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait to what the promise from the Father is that the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father, uh, and and Jesus told his disciples. In the Gospel of John, that if he doesn't go, then he cannot send what? The helper. And so we understand that the Holy Spirit was sent from the Father and the Son. We also see that the Spirit came upon the church, right? So we see in chapter 2 is that the, the, the disciples have been hanging out in Jerusalem. Now the festival of Pentecost had come there, and there were many people from all over the world that had come. And as they're sitting there in the upper room, all of a sudden the Spirit comes down and comes upon them, and they began to speak in other languages, right? God, God the Holy check this, the Holy Spirit came on them so that they could... Uh, so the Spirit came upon them in power to show and to share the gospel. All right, what was the big thing after this? These are just ordinary Galileans standing up preaching the gospel and clarity and defending the gospel. It's showing the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't of them, but not only that, but it led them to actually share the good news. There's these ordinary men. And so in chapter 2, we, what we see is that the Spirit came down came upon them and empowered them to, to show the gospel, but also to share the gospel. We see in chapter two that Peter stands up and begins to preach a sermon that the guys were going, man, this only, what, what time? Was, uh, it was early in the day, and are these guys been drinking? Why are they speaking in these other languages and, and things like that? And so notice the Holy Spirit who has came upon us and began to preach the gospel. So the Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit was sent from the Father and the Son, and it empowered the church to show, to, to show and share the gospel. Number three, let me get out early today. I got this many more notes. <clears throat> Number three is that the church was formed. So Jesus went up to sit down, the Spirit came down, and the church was formed. We see in chapter two that the church was formed from people from many different places, that they were there because of Pentecost, that something miraculous happens. Here's this group of people who show up to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. They were there because God had told them in the Old Testament to come to back to Jerusalem. And so what had happened to us is that these Jews from that had been dispersed throughout all the world, the known world, had come back as a, pilgrim, as a pilgrimage, if you will, back to Jerusalem for, for Pentecost, which happens to be the same time the Spirit comes down, which is pretty phenomenal if you think about it, right? Almost like there's a order and a plan to things. Um, but I may be reading into it. I don't know. 
And so they show up on the day of Pentecost whenever, or the, whenever the Holy Spirit comes down and all these people are there. And then what's crazy is, is they're there because of something else. But what they don't realize is that actually even from God's law of the Old Testament, that God was already pursuing them in Jesus. I, I hope you catch that. Like even the law of God in the Old Testament that said you have to come to Jerusalem, God knew that one day, on a certain day, that the Spirit would come down, and they would be there obeying Old Testament things, but the reality is the Holy Spirit would come, they would preach Jesus, and many of these guys would choose Jesus this day. Like, pretty phenomenal. Like I said, I'm reading into it maybe, but... And what happens here is you take these people who were not all from the same area, so Justin, they were all Jews. They all liked each other. And the analogy that I always say is like, that's like saying all Americans like each other. It's not true. Like, go to Facebook, right? Obviously, there's even more than that because we're talking about, you know, anyway. But what happens, you have all these people who were pretty much strangers here. All of a sudden, the gospel is preached. And these people who were once strangers now become one. So there were these people that were from all over the place and Peter in the power of the Spirit stands up and begins to preach and the church begins to be formed. He said, from many places through the preaching of the word, that's what Acts chapter two is. The rest of chapter two is Peter preaching. Church was formed not only through the preaching of the word, but by the conviction and the work of the Spirit. In verses 37 through 41, it says that the chapter, uh, th- uh, what, yeah, chapter two is, Now, what shall we do? They were cut to their heart. And Peter says, repent and be baptized. So the church is formed from many different places through the preaching of the word, the conviction of the work of the spirit. And how does chapter two end? See if this sounds familiar. The church is formed and they what? They committed themselves to truth. They committed themselves to each other. They committed themselves to seeing others come in. Does that sound familiar to anything that we've talked about over the past month? Acts 2.42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They committed themselves to God's truth. And then what happens? They, into the fellowship and the breaking of bread and their prayers and all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the hands of the apostles. And all who believed were together and all things that had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing them proceeds to all to any who had need. And day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received with, you know, their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. They committed themselves to God's people. What does it say? And day by day, though God the Lord added to them, day by day, those who were being saved, they were a part of God's mission. So the church was formed from people from many different places through the preaching of the word by the power of the spirit. And this is the result as they committed themselves to the truth to one another and to see people who don't know the Lord come to know the Lord. The fourth thing we saw, not only did we see that Jesus went up to sit down, the spirit came down, the church was formed. But then what we finally see in Acts 3 and 4 is that the church faced opposition and persecution. Right? Everybody, everybody with me say, yeah, Justin, you would have to do this. But so everything's going good in chapters one and chapter two. Jesus has ascended. Everything's awesome. The spirits come down. We've seen miraculous works. 
Peter and John, they're so pumped up, they're going to go to the temple at the hour of prayer because they were still being good Jews, but they also knew that that's where all the people were going to be at a certain time, so they were there, and there, there was a lame man that got dropped before them, and he asked for alms, and Peter said, I ain't got that, but I had to get up and walk. Everything's good. And that causes disruption, and then they begin to face opposition. Everything was smooth sailing for two chapters. It didn't take long, right? Two chapters, everything's good. Then it's not so good anymore, and they began to face persecution. It's in response to a miracle of feeling the lame man. Then uh, it was from the religious establishment. Remember, they did this uh, uh, at the gate called Beautiful, if you will, right outside uh, so in one of the courts of the temple, people really don't know exactly where it is, but uh, they were there. And so <clears throat> they healed this guy, or Jesus heals this man through, through Peter's obedience to him. And there's, uh, what does chapter four say? That there was these priests, and these priests who, uh, a priest for them, this was just a regular old priest. And so there were many orders of priests throughout Jewish life. And the way that this priest on this day was able to actually serve in the temple this day is that his name got drawn. Right, Like it was by chance or by luck that this person would have the opportunity to be there. Uh, and uh, it's finally, sometimes they never got to serve at all. So his name finally got drawn, right? He's there to serve the Lord in the, in the, in the temple. Then all of a sudden, here's these Christians coming here causing a ruckus, messing up my time. And so they run in, Peter and John quit doing this. And you have the captain of the temple, which is like the police, their main, their main job is to maintain order within the temple, and things are going nuts. Then you have uh, the Sadducees, which are like the religious you know, elite there. Then you have the Sanhedrin. So what happens is, is now the church comes under persecution. We must nip this in the bud. But what we saw in chapter 4 is that the church responded in prayer and commitment to each other. And in chapter 3 and chapter 4, uh, Peter and John were told not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter looked at him and said, we can't help but to do this. And what we saw, and so I'm, trying about, I'm about to try to set up the scene for chapter five. It took two chapters for the enemy to begin to try to disrupt what God was doing. And his first order of attack was from the outside. The first way that the enemy tried to disrupt what God was doing through the church was that he would try to call some outside force to stop things from happening. If we could get the Sanhedrin involved or the Supreme Court, if we can get these, we just tell them, listen, if you keep doing this, it's going to be really bad for you. If we, just, if we just warn them enough, they'll stop preaching Jesus. But what we saw in chapter four is that instead of nipping in the bud, it actually fanned the flame of their passion and faithfulness anyway. It had like reverse results. And so what we begin to see in chapter five is that the enemy, and which is still the greatest attack he gives us today, is not a pressure and an oppression from the outside, but deception from within. That's what we'll begin to see in chapter five. And check this out. Yes, there are physical persecutions that happen throughout the rest of the New Testament. I mean, nasty stuff in the church age. 
But you very rarely hear or read the New Testament authors addressing those persecutions. You see it in Peter a little bit. But what you do see them New Testament writers talking about is these false doctrines and this deception coming from within where the enemy is trying to cause division within the body. That's the whole rest, that's the, the rest of the New Testament is protecting this doctrine, protecting the purity of the gospel and the truth. And so what we began to see is very, for the first time, there's this deception, this stuff going on from within. So we see the church responded in prayer and commitment to each other. And the church continued in unity and power. We end at chapter four, we see the snapshot of church life. I'll read it. It says, now they were, the full number of those who believe were of one heart and one soul as in what they, what they desired and what that was important to them, they had that in unity. No one said any other of the things that belonged to them was his own. They had everything in common. And the great power of the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them as many of owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds to all of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Pause for a moment. These are people who, some of them had went back home, but a good chunk of them stayed back in Jerusalem. These are people who just two chapters earlier were complete strangers. <laughs> and now they're saying, they have one heart and one mind, and what they have is not their own, right? Like, it's a, it's, a, it's a miracle of the gospel. And then it ends with a great example. So that's our backdrop. This was the, this was the life of, this was the community life of the church up until this point. And here's a great example of that. If you look at the end of, our, of chapter four, it says, thus Joseph, <clears throat> who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's the backdrop, and here's the example of that. Here's a good example of the backdrop. What is chapter five? The negative example of that same backdrop. So I'm trying to give us some lenses to see Ananias and Sapphira next week. Here's the backdrop. This was the community life of the church. This wasn't an obligation. That all, what was going on was, it was I myself felt led by the Spirit to go and give this money or to go and sell this land. There was no obligation or regulation that anybody had to do this. It was under their own desire. Catch that grass. And so next week you see it. So what does that mean for us this morning? Closing. Hey, Jesus has ascended and he's seated. He's seated. If you're a child of God this morning, you are, you're redeemed. I need you to know that you're redeemed, that you've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. You're represented in heaven, which means we're not cast out. Are you redeemed? But the reality is, do we don't always feel redeemed, right? <laughs> we don't always act redeemed. Maybe that's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm the 
only one in here who has bad days. Like somebody said something about the cold uh, this morning. I said, I've been in a bad mood since yesterday morning. I felt the wind hit me in the face because it was cold. It just makes me angry. I don't, you don't want to be around me right now. But maybe that's just me. Child of God, whenever we sin and we fall short, we're not cast off or cut off. We have a representative who stands seated in heaven on our behalf. His righteousness has become our righteousness, has been placed on us, it's been imputed to us. So not only are we redeemed as in we are bought, but also my stance in heaven is not on my own merit, but on the merit of Jesus, who is my representative. He's my advocate. So no matter what the enemy is whispering to you this morning, I want to remind you that Jesus ascended and he sat down. And in doing so, he secured your redemption. But he also is now your legal representative in heaven. And right now, he has many, many things going on. I mean, think about it. He sustains the universe. Colossians says he holds all things together, which means that like the wind doesn't blow without his permission. Scripture says all things were created by him, through him, and for him. As in the wind that I was complaining about yesterday, it was blowing like that because Jesus gave him permission to. He is, he literally is sustaining the galaxies to the smallest molecule of dust that is floating in this room right now. But scripture tells us that he intercedes on our behalf day and night. That he never stops praying for those who are his. He secured our redemption He represents us in heaven, but he's constantly going to the Father on our behalf day and night while somehow still being the sovereign Lord over all things. If his eye is on the sparrow, his eye is on you. The lilies of the valley, they don't dress themselves. The birds of the air don't feed themselves. How much more precious are you? And he is the Lord of all. Like, no matter what's going on, he's the Lord of all. With things that are going on in Ukraine and Russia, with things that are going on in our own backyard, to our own families, he has not at one moment in a throne went, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. I wasn't expecting that. He's not panicking. He's not walking around panicking in the throne room. He's, I think I said this in Acts 4. He's not, uh, he's not being you know, rushed off to some undisclosed location for his own safety. No, he's seated. He's exactly where he's always been. He's seated above the world. As Psalm tells us, he who is seated above the world laughs. He's exactly where he's always been. 
Not only is Jesus ascended, but the Holy Spirit is alive. He's in you, child of God. This wasn't just for them. It wasn't just for Theophilus. It's for me and you. And the same Holy Spirit that was in Peter on the day of Pentecost and the same Holy Spirit who was on Paul, came into Paul on the road to Damascus and the same Holy Spirit who was with John on the island of Patmos is the same Holy Spirit that resides in me and you this very morning. The same anchor that was in their soul when they saw, when they faced their last day is the same anchor that's in our soul when we'll face our last day. And they go to the same place. Ephesians chapter 1 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. When you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Spirit has ascended. I mean, Jesus has ascended and seated. The spirit is alive and our purpose still remains today to go and make disciples. If this, how could Peter and these guys be so courageous it's because they believed that Jesus had ascended and the Spirit was alive within them. So Peter's failures, gone. Peter's mistakes, gone. His denials, gone. Why? Because Jesus had redeemed him. The Spirit was within him and he shared his story. Man, may we live in that reality. May we be certain. I want you to be certain as Luke would be to Theophilus, child of God, Jesus is seated at his throne. The spirit is alive in you. Man, our life would look different if we truly, actually believe that. May we be certain of that this morning. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for just this short recap of chapters one through four. God, we thank you that Jesus has ascended. And now even this prayer that I'm praying that he is taking it and interceding on our behalf. I gotta thank you for the spirit that indwells all those who have called upon your name. Who's our guarantee of an inheritance. We have a guarantee that our hallelujahs that are here below will become a hallelujah there above. And to endless ages, we will cry out to the Holy One. God, I thank you for that assurance this morning. God, I pray if there's anyone in here doubting those things, God, I pray that you would use your word to, to grow their confidence to give them certainty that the thing that they believe in is not a thing, but it's a person that they believe in Jesus who's alive. God, if there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't know you, God, I pray that today you will draw them to yourself. We love you. 
in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, before I move out of the way, last week, if you weren't here, we finished up our starting point series and we passed out our new church covenants uh, and some changes we're making or we're proposing uh, for the Constitution and Bylaws. If you weren't here last Sunday, you weren't able to get those. We have some of those available in the foyer. Uh, grab those and read through those. Th- and we know that there's you know, maybe some serious questions and things that and we want to make ourselves available for those things. Uh, next Sunday uh, evening uh, at 5 p.m. is when we'll actually, as a church, uh, bring our covenants joined together. If you're ready to do so, we'll also vote on those proposed changes or amendments. And so if you're interested in church membership, uh, then grab that, have us have a conversation. Remember, some of the requirements for church membership is salvation, baptisms, uh, a uh, membership orientation, which is what starting point was. So if you've missed any of that, uh, any, any sermons from the past few weeks, go back and watch those. There's even outlines online to help you follow that along. And then next Sunday, we will turn those dudes in together. If you have any questions, uh, come see me. Come see Ryan, Luke, Daniel, Paul, any of us. Anyway, let's stand and let's, let's sing together.